Blog Talk Radio. This morning, this is your host, Gail Sylvia, and you're listening to sylviaglobalradio.com. Joining me today are some very exciting uh, women associated with World World Pulse. And first in the conversation is Hummingbird in Dubai, along with my co host this morning, Annette. Hi, ladies, how are you? Hi, Gail, how are you? I'm fine. Good. Annette, are you there? Yes, I am here. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. We've had quite some technical challenges for you. You know, Hummingbird, thank you so much for being here with us today. Talk to us about World Pulse and the recent World Pulse tour. Well, um, World Pulse is actually in a, a very good, very amazing organization, and it's really the the idea of it it's genius because um it's uh it gives the people who are in it a chance to be creative to uh they uh train them first and they give women a voice from all around the world um i forgot to mention that it is an organization for grassroots women leader to, uh, they empower women to be leaders in their communities and be the voices of their communities. And this is the good idea. This is um, the uh, uh, what I consider it a genius because no one can know a community better than the people and the women who are inside it. They will truly understand the challenges and understand what it uh, what this community needs to uh, survive and to find a better future, to tackle challenges, to overcome the problems they have, um, to empower women, to empower children, and to stand with their men. So um, the tour, um, they have this tour where uh, every year they collect three women after a uh, about six months training program, and uh, they uh, bring them to United States, these women will have the chance to talk about their communities in um, in front of uh, organizations, uh, philanthropists, um, and other uh, many many institutions. Um, we went when we when I was chosen. I was very very glad because it came in a time that it mostly needed, especially when Syria is going through so much this time. So um, I had the incredible chance to talk about what my people are going on in Syria. You know, can I ask you something about that hummingbird? Hello. Yes, go ahead, Annette. Um, what I'm, what I'm, for many of us, and I would say me included, 
um, besides what I see on the news, how would you describe what's happening now in Syria? Hello? Not. We um, there is a brutal regime in Syria that is denying everyone from their rights, from their freedoms, and people are fighting to take these freedoms and their rights back. This is how I describe the situation. How, when you say they're taking people's rights away, can you provide an example of the sort of rights that are being taken away? Well, um, for example, um, uh, let's say an official driving his car, hitting someone, and he will just go away, go in his way. The man who is, or the woman or the child who is hit by a car will not have the right for a just trial. Just oh. because this man is an official and no one and no law can um, harm him or bring justice to anyone. This is just a very small part of what people were going through. I actually think it's really helpful to understand it on that level. <clears throat> In terms of women, I mean, do you think yeah. the women are the most and children are the most marginalized? Is that what you've seen? Um, yes. Well, actually, children. The most, the sad thing about children is that they were trained and taught. As, uh, I remember since we were young, to just hail the the leader. We have this organization. It's like a small. A military organization for children, um, and it was actually imported from North Korea um, to to make children believe that this this is our father, the leader, and we should fight for him. And we are we took some classes uh, about um, how how much uh, the, our life is great, and we should fight everyone for him. And it was it was really insane. Women were also marginalized in terms of um, laws, uh, especially honor crimes, um, because uh, this this regime was trying to make peace with some traditional and old habits to stay in control. An honor crime is is actually uh, killing a woman for doubting that she was she was committed an adultery. Laws <gasps> were never. Yes, yes. Uh, so laws, um, many activists demanded that the law uh, regarding this kind of crimes to be tight because those who, who do that, actually, when a man kills a woman, he will go uh, out from jail after six months or a year. But when a woman does that, she will go for a jail for for life. She will be sentenced for life. Uh, that, um, see, that is yes. mind-boggling to me. Because first of all, you first said that the children, in a sense, are being educated in a way that's almost like a brainwashing. Would yes. you, would that yes. Does that sound sort of... Or manipulated. They're being manipulated into the way they think. You can teach a child anything. They're sort of like a new... 
you know, if I taught a child to hate, then they would they would hate. I'm hoping not to do that. But would you say that's sort of correct? Exactly, exactly. They were brainwashed. I I I used to be brainwashed because be before I started to to know better about the situation in my country. So that's right. Yes, yes. They were Wait, I have a question for you though. Coming for how much of this? You know, so often we transfer. You know, from the United States, as an example, you know, our standards and our cultural values and and place them on other people and use our standards as the the bar for what's considered fair or unjust. How this this experience that you just described sounds horrific, you know, for to us, and that's why Annette's asking the questions. But this is is this a new occurrence in the culture or is this culturally rooted and has just gone to some extreme place throughout you know at this time of you know generational evolution? Um can you repeat that again? Yeah, so what you just described is this something recent to the culture and the country? Um, no, it's not recent. It's um, it's done before. Have you? Did your grandmother experience this during her generation? My uh, yes, my mother and my grandmother. But what what people were were um, demanding is that um, as, since people started to be aware and uh, having some. So much information they they started to demand that this practice um would be um uh would have tighter sentence uh, much more strong laws about it, but the government never did that because they did not want to have any clash with society they want to stay in control and to reinforce actually these uh, hideous habits in societies so they would stay in control. So it continues to escalate despite the public outcry. It is um, uh, for in this situation that Syria is going through now. Um, we are. Um, it's not in, uh, escalating regarding honor crime. Is going on because women in in. Um, Middle Eastern culture regarded as a symbol for chastity, a symbol for uh, purity. So um, the the regime forces are intentionally attacking women, uh, raping them or harassing them to just um, break the society, to break the, um, uh, the, the the women, the spirits of the society. So this is a new uh, a new uh, practice, a new action generated in uh, Syria, uh, especially in this situation, to uh, intentionally target women. How have you survived? Mm. Well, um, I uh, I went out from Syria before like two years. Um, still, my family is, is there. Um, 
and I, I'm worried every day, and I can't, it's, it's painful, it's painful to go through this, it's painful to, to see every, this is going on, and no one is doing anything about it. Um, we only, um, yesterday, our uh, I was talking to my mother, and she was. They were trapped home, and they were telling me that there were flashes in their neighborhood. It was really scary, and I couldn't sleep all night long. Um, I, I I didn't know what it, what is going on, and being out uh, being out of the country is also terrible. Also, uh, because I'm I'm in the dark, and I don't know what is going down there. What were the circumstances of your grandmother and your mother and your upbringing and marriages? Were they arranged? Uh, yes. Actually, my mother, uh, actually my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother and, and my marriage. It was, uh, it was arranged. And, but um, I decided to break this cycle despite the fact that um as a divorced woman a divorced woman in our society um does not have uh, does not have a, a a good reputation so um i had to go through a lot because of being a divorced woman i had to be watched uh, watched all the time i had to be under scrutiny People um, kept an eye on me, on my actions, whom I'm talking with, where I'm going. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Why? Um, what are they afraid of? What? 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 For the scrutiny purposes, what do they think as a divorced woman that you'll do? Um, well, usually uh, the blame is on. Um, is on divorce uh, on women for being mm-hmm. divorced they are mm-hmm. perceived as uh not good mm. um almost like they're not obedient in a way yes they are not obedient that's right and they are out of control <laughs> <laughs> so, how yeah how did you what prompted you to make the decision to break the cycle um well actually i had i had many dreams in my life and i was very sad i was broken to see my my dreams just vanish because i ha- because of someone who does not want me to to be better than him someone who considered me not obedient and out of control and i also was um wanted to continue my university because he did not allow me to study or to go to my university and i couldn't i couldn't stand that i couldn't stay away from my books <laughs> so i decided to to just break the cycle i decided to end this madness for me and for my sisters and for other girls in my family how did they react at first they did they did not like it at all actually um no one talked to me uh in the first couple of years and they used to look at me in a strange way when they see me but um i proved 
I proved to be very hard with working. I studied well. I worked well. I tried to achieve uh, positions um, no one in my no woman in my family achieved. I um, I was able to have my uh, first ma- master degree in the family. And um, so, congratulations! Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. And it was um, somehow I don't regret that because actually it it changed the uh, the um, how do they look at women. I I feel that I opened a new path. I opened a new way and showed them that this is not the end. Or um, to be a married woman or a divorced woman, it's not like that. It's more. There's something more. Are you safe? Yes, currently I am safe. I'm just worried for my family. Um, I'm using an an alias name um, just to protect them. Um, I might try to to get them out in the next few weeks because, um, according to what I heard, things will be much worse than than now. And um, uh, I don't know what will happen next. It's it's ambiguous. Um, How can we support you? Um, I, I think um, for me, uh, I'm. I'm good, but I. What I want to, to to say is, talk about Syria more, and donate for Syria. There are many organizations, especially the UNHCR, United Nations High Commission for Refugees, and uh, they are helping the refugees in Syria. Um, I want media to focus on Syria more because. Uh, and focus in the right way because sometimes I read very many ridiculous things and articles about what is going on. Um, just to help the people topple this regime because for me, I don't see anything um, will be solved as long as this family, I, I'm, I mean the Assad family who are on the control of my country, is there as long as they are there this madness this killing frenzy will continue you know when you were talking about um that world pulse empowers people to be voices in their communities yeah do you feel there's a lot of there there is some a lot of different women men people involved in Syria on the ground trying to you know trying to take care of each other or help the refugees or, I mean, is it just, is it chaos in terms of, is there any sort of underlying organization to what's happening? Um, Well, um, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago and he told me that it is, it might seem, it might seem like it's it's an entire madness, (laughs) but there are many, many beautiful uh, spotlights. People are coming together. Um, I heard of this man who is burying the dead, who, who, who roamed the streets, just looking for the people who are killed in the street to take them to the graveyard and bury them. 
Mm. Um, doctors are um, working uh, in these field hospitals, and they are all under attack just because they are treating the injured, the injured people. Um, women are also participating in this in, in every way. They are uh, go also um, going to uh, protest. Um, a few uh, one week ago, um, four women were arrested in a public market because they were standing wearing their um, bride uh, bridal gowns, standing in a public market and protesting, saying, "Stop this madness! Stop this killing!" Silently, but um, I don't know. No one knows what happened is uh, ha happened to them now. Uh, mm. They were arrested, and we didn't hear about them. So yes, there are people helping each other, but still, oh. more more help needed. It's very disturbing, isn't it, Annette? Well, I do I do understand what you were saying earlier, Gail, about the the just the basic underlying cultural differences to start. Right. So, and, and I and I think those differences, as you said, have been around. Some of them have been around for generations, right? And we've we've progressed maybe a little yeah. bit more quickly in the West in terms of women, right, and and women's rights and things of that nature. But it is when you do hear this stuff and you don't know what happened to those women standing there, and you have someone who's got the courage to try to bury the dead. I mean, it's it really overwhelming to think about what's happening there. Are there a lot of refugees? Would you say, hummingbird? Yes. Um, only yesterday, the um, the official number from United Nations um, stated that there is half a million refugees. The the uh, and I am talking about the people who escaped the escaped Syria to to neighboring countries. Um, there are inside Syria there are, there um, there is about two million people displaced from their homes. There are two million homes were uh, destroyed, were brought brought down to the ground, oh. and the numbers inside are are very horrific. Um, I say international; it should be international aid sent to Syria. Is that not happening? Is there no international aid being sent? No. Well, there are few. It is is sent there currently. I am seeing that the United Nations for Refugees is acting more um, actively, is more active. But um, no, um, more aid, more uh, food, more um, uh, blankets, especially now in in, in winter, is not uh, going inside. There is another um, another issue which is. Uh, going on in Syria right now, the regime is intentionally trying to starve people by um, preventing bread uh, from going inside cities. They are, uh, it is trying to make people uh, um, uh, freeze from cold because it is um, uh, banning any fuel to go inside um, major cities. And this is really, um, it's really sad because this regime or these people are doing this to their own brothers and sisters. Um, what do you think? I'm curious. I mean, I don't know if you know the answer to this, 
But what do you think they're thinking that there's no that in the end they will achieve their their end by doing this? I'm I'm um, I'm curious what their motivation is for starving and and bringing to you know I'm curious they, if they think they'll achieve their goals. I, I don't I don't see how it will end. Do you know what um, I mean? I don't I don't see. True. Um, well, they they are hoping to end this not by uh, not by achieving a middle ground or um, uh, make or um, applying answering the people demands. No, they are just killing. Uh, continue to kill. I don't know. Maybe they are just what, uh, until no one is there to fight back. Maybe that. And I would also go want to go back to the to the issue of obedience they want to they want the people to go to be obedient to go back and be obedient like they were before what's the best way that you believe you can help the people women in particular of Syria um for me, I am uh, continuously talking and writing about them. This is the first. Uh, the second is <clears throat> I can uh, donate for organizations because it's really, really an issue right now, the food and the blankets and also the tents for the refugees and for the women. Um, and um, For women, I was thinking of being a campaign uh, to spread awareness among them. Um, to there is a practice going on that um, women, especially refugees, to get rid of their misery. Just, they just go and marry. Now um, we are concerned that um, these women would be exploited in some way or another. Uh, a campaign was uh, launched to address this uh, this issue. Um, we feel that it somehow achieved some of its goals to spread awareness uh, among these women, but still, sometimes they ask, what is the wrong thing to do if we just uh, married someone? It's not something wrong. It's not, not something bad. Um, but the major concern is the exploitation that these women might face, the, the refugees. I think that changing the way people think is a very slow process. And sort of one of the things that you're saying that fascinates me about human beings who will oppress other human beings, which is something that is hard for me to understand in this day and age, in this world that we live in, that anyone would think they have control over someone else, is how do we get them to change their thinking in the way that they feel that this person deserves rights too, this person is also of value, this person has equal value of as to me. I don't understand, you know, changing that thinking and getting people to not just sort of just live in obedience and be submissive um, to the people that are in power. I think that is a very, is the most challenging question of the ages probably. 
right? You see this in war all the time, and you see this in the human condition. And I think what you said is the only hope of real change is that through that awareness and through the communication, right? Or do you see, do you feel that there's hope for that? You've talked about some very positive things, but do you feel the hope to change the thinking, the way people think Uh, about other human beings? I, well, I, I hope so. Part of, um, our talks about the what is going on in Syria about the revolution is also to change um many old habits traditions and the way of thinking because it's not just to change the oppressor um uh, way of thinking it's also to change the people who are uh, oppressed Yes. Way of thinking. Good point. Yes. This is this is also something we focus on. If you don't fight back, if the victim remains afraid, then um, it will make uh, the, the 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 oppressors go further and further because they know that there is no line. There is no limit for them. So this is part of it. It's a uh, dual um, uh, process. It's uh, about to make the oppressors aware that everyone deserves the right, the rights they have or they want for themselves. And it's also to change the people who are uh, oppressed um, mindset that they don't deserve that and they deserve the rights that other people have. You know, uh, Hummingbird, in April of this year, 2012, you did a video about aid to Syrian refugees. What prompted that? Was it, and was a part of the prompting to help find that? It, it is. It's not usual for women just to, um, just to take her backpack in our region and and go to another country and um meet uh, uh meet the refugees or just like that i i did it i just took my camera in a backpack and went there i wanted to see them i wanted to see my people who are going through this i wanted to to um know what they are going on want to talk to them, maybe ease some of their pain, and also maybe to change their mindset, change the way they of, of their thinking, although I believe that the people I met, they were beautiful in in every way possible. They, are, they were very courage, uh, courageous and brave. So um, I just... Uh, I was a little bit afraid because um at that time there were there there was some issues regarding Syrians entering Jordan and um I was afraid that they would let me in the country but um things went smooth and um it was really an amazing uh, amazing journey I did very um eye opening and uh, uh it raised my raised my awareness of what um 
I know what they were going on, but to go there and see it myself, it's a different thing. Especially, I saw different kind of people. I saw a woman who left the country because she uh, escaped. She was afraid that her daughters will be raped. I saw a young man who was shot in his back and is not able to walk again. He is actually lost his life, what is left of his life. I saw a um, an old man, an old man who were fighting with the people and supporting the young men in Syria. And I found, and I met this entire family, a father, a mother, and his daughters. Um, the father was tortured. The mother um, uh, had to see, uh, went through very horrifying uh, situations, and they also had to flee uh, the the area they were living in for their daughters, for them. And despite the fact that they went through um, so much, I couldn't imagine what they went through. I couldn't. Uh, how how do I feel that? But they were when i asked them uh when when what do you want like i asked this man who was and is not able to walk again and i asked him after you heal or after you finish your treatment what will you do and he said that i will go back and fight even if i can't walk again and it was and this is was amazing it, it was so um, I don't know what to describe this. Um, despite everything they went, each one of them said that they they want to go back and fight. Hmm. It's somehow it makes me hopeful. It makes me hopeful, and I believe that their mindset is already changed. Just to stand and to fight no matter what. I think when you believe in a, in something so strongly and a cause that you're willing to even make the sacrifice of your own life, it says that, you know, something that's bigger than you, that's the most powerful statement that anyone can make, although it gets a little, which brings me to a question I had wanted to ask you about religion. What kind of a role, in terms of the various ways people interpret religion there? And their varying degrees. I mean, in terms of you talked about tradition and traditions changing. What kind of a role is religion playing into all of this? Or is it not at all? I mean, I don't know. Well, um, Syria, it's it's really really uh, complicated and um, mixed society. There are so many religions. There are so many sects. There are even uh, the the liberals, I think the liberals and the atheists and the non-religious people in Syria uh, are many. But mm. all of them are fighting together. This is the part of it. Um, to talk about uh, the, the majority of people, um, uh, I believe that when anyone goes, uh, goes through a very extreme situation, they need to hang on something. Some people hanged on religion. 
resort to God to help them because um i'm uh, i don't uh, uh describe myself as a, rig- a religious person but um it's am- it amazes me when um Syrians started to realize that no one is going to stand beside them so um we um during the protests started to shout we only have you god mm. and um mm. so um i believe that it it is playing a role but i also have i also have faith because the syrian society in its structure it is not an extremist society and i know that better um i know that very well i know that there are many so many liberals in syria and so many um uh, people from other religions who are also fighting in this uh um in this uh revolution and um i don't think that this is uh, this is not made by one sect or one religion or one uh, ethnic uh, group in syria there are people who are uh, christians who are alawites who are sunnis who are um uh, not religion are against and the same are with the regime and this though so um this is the the situation this is not a religious war then really it sounds like what you what you described is people fighting from different sects some people who don't even believe at all but fighting for the same cause and do you think that yes. the traditions some of the traditions that have been oppressive in the past were the result of religion or were they just sort of culturally that way um no i don't um not everything not everything there are maybe there are uh, something from religion there are something interpreted um to tell you the truth um i i personally i believe that religion can be uh, interpreted in more than one way yes me too yes yes so <laughs> i think it's according to someone's interpretation Mm-hmm. for religious text and no i don't believe that it is because uh, the 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 um bad actions in societies are brought um mainly from religion no they are also traditions all the traditions that are so ugly and they are not religious at all you know, it's hummingbird we're, I'm sorry to have to interrupt the conversation at this point because it's so it's incredibly important the work that you're doing and the message that you're bringing, um, but we ha- we're we've run out of time. <laughs> we're just and we'll, we're going to need to have you come back and not only have you come back as a guest. We are looking forward to having you as a world pulse. Um, correspondent on Sylvia Global Media so that we can use this platform for to support the work of World Pulse and to support the people of Syria and to do it by letting you speak and other women speak in their own voice on their for themselves. 
And we just thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Gail and Annette. I was honored to be here. And um, I would just want to, to, to thank also World Pulse, this amazing yes. organization and this beautiful team. Yes. You're doing incredible work, and we really pray that you never feel alone. You're, mm-hmm. you know, virtually and prayerfully and in so many other ways supported, and the people of Syria um, are deeply loved, and we want to see this this type of atrocities ended. We we just and we really hope that you're successful in helping your family as well. Um, I hope to. Thank you so much, Gail. It was you. such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, please um, come honored. back again soon. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Annette, stand by. Okay. Um, we, you're listening to and Hummingbird. You can listen, continue to hear the conversation. We're at SylviaGlobal.com, okay. and you can. There's a microphone on there for live on air now. If you click that microphone, the broadcast is being heard globally. And we will continue the conversation. We're going to bring um, our next guest from World Pulse, which is who is Stella, and she is in India. Stand by one moment. Annette, go ahead and um, share your thoughts while I get um, Stella connected here. Um, Well, to everyone who's out there listening, I just want to say how honored it has been to have Hummingbird as a guest this morning to hear about Syria, I think we can all agree that we only get little snippets on the news, not the full story from the ground, and it has just been an eye-opening and intellectually stimulating conversation that, for me, is life-changing. Second, you know, this broadcast is being in, is done in partnership with World Pulse. Um, let's get Stella on and have her join us. And then we have Nima in the Congo. Hi, Stella. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm very, very happy very and honored to be here. Thank you so much. Annette Ross is also joining us. We just finished an incredible conversation with Hummingbird about World Pulse and her efforts to speak and on behalf of the women of Syria and to address the crisis that's there. And we know that what what affects one person in this world does affect all of us. Talk to us about your role and relationship with World Pulse. Well, uh, Annette, um, I actually call World Pulse my home. Uh there are when you think of home there are a few things that come on your mind first you are not alone that you have company company that stands by you through thick and thin a home is something that gives you uh, identity you know it it lets the world know who you are and you are known by them and then a home is also something that makes you feel safe and secure. <clears throat> so, so in WordPress, I have found each of these components. I am part of this incredible 50,000 strong network of women. That's a huge family to be a part of. And then uh, it's, it's, it's an organization that anyone would feel proud to be a part of because it talks about all the issues that are realities these days in our lives. And then it gives you support to fight for your rights and of all those issues that you care for. And it gives you a great identity and a great feel of security that you are not alone wherever you are, whatever situation you are in, whether that's in Congo or in India, or in Syria. So that's my relationship with, with World Pulse. What is the, how do you use World Pulse to promote what's important to you and the women in your community? Well, what World Pulse basically is a Web 2.0 platform, which is more or less like a blogging platform. So you can go in, you can blog, but the difference is, unlike other blogs, the response here is much quicker because of this huge community that exists. There are thousands of thousands of women members who are reading these blogs, these write-ups, and getting back to you. So this is a great opportunity that I use to bring up the issues, whether it's witchcraft, whether it's domestic violence, malnutrition among women. And then there are all these women who feel connected to these issues. They're fighting this or working over these issues in their respective countries. So immediately they come back, they give you the feedback, sometimes they add some extra information and they help us take the work one step ahead, which is creating more awareness. And then also they help us find solutions. Uh, let me give you a, a small example. So I was 
writing about malnutrition in women. We had a report that said over 50% of Indian women suffer from malnutrition. And I wrote about that, and immediately there is somebody called Olaniken. She lives in Nigeria, where she, she runs an organization that works on sustainable development. And she came and told me, you know, there is this tree which grows here in Nigeria. It's very common, called Moringa. And it is full of nutrients. And poor women who cannot afford a, a protein, a lot of protein, can eat the leaves and flowers of this tree. And then I found out, oh, this exists in my country too, but I never quite thought it that way, that this is an accessible, easy solution to, to malnutrition among poorer communities. Wow. So, yes, yeah, so, so I went on and then I shared this information in my personal blog. And then there were people responding from different corners of, of India. So this is how I call we are actually building kind of a net. You know, when we talk about network, it's, it's also kind of a network solution. And that's how I use World Pulse. Wow. This is absolutely amazing how we're able to connect and be the force of change that is sought at higher levels but being achieved at a, at a very grassroots level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Annette, do you have any questions for it's, Stella? It's really, time? it's actually extraordinary. I just, it's extraordinary. One of the things I just wanted to comment on your metaphor of World Pulse being home, though. Yeah. I think that the concept of home and the idea of home is so important for every human being. I can't emphasize that enough. And the way you described World Pulse as your home, I and mean, we sometimes think of a home as you know an actual physical house or place, but the things you described that World Pulse is for you, how it's safe and it's this, you know, net. it just gave me such a, it was such a beautiful metaphor and I just wanted to thank you for saying that. I thought it was really lovely. Um, I have a question for you about something that I actually, I saw a couple of your interviews. Um, sure. What are the issues that you think affect young women in the marginalized communities? I mean, malnutrition is obviously one. What, what yeah. else do you think? Well, you know, uh, the the point is we we live in a, a beautiful country, mm-hmm. but that also has a very strong patriarchal society. And then we have a lot of uh, a gap between those who have a lot and those who do not have anything. Unfortunately, right. women are mostly on the other side. <laughs> they are the you know the those who do not have. Either they have the wealth, but do not, they do not have access to it. They, mm-hmm. they have, their families own a lot of land, but the land uh, are, are not registered in the woman's name. So, so if we count, uh, the, the, the list actually would go on and on. But let me just give you the bigger picture, the broad, very broad overview. Our, our bigger, bigger uh, topics, bigger issues are apart from malnutrition, which actually is also kind of, discrimination because, uh, you know, the UN says that malnutrition is happening in India because there is gender bias in food distribution. Wow. So so that's one thing because the woman is supposed to cook and then feed the rest of the family, which means the male members, and then feed the female children and then feed herself. So she's actually the last to come, you know, on the line. 
<laughs> so that's one, the, the, the huge, you know, the, the gap between the way men have access to the world and the, and the, and the facilities and the women. So gender bias, then we have sanitation, which is a huge, huge problem. Domestic violence, that's, that's, a, that's a burning issue in, in, in India. Then, you know, the livelihood, climate change. Climate change actually is supposed to affect everyone, but, you know, the, the, the effect on women is two, twice or thrice more than it is actually, because men have, a, have, a, have an option to leave home uh, and and I go to the town when when they lose their crop, they go to the town and they find work. But the woman, she can't move, so she's dependent on the money that her husband may or may not send. So the effect here is more because she's left in charge of her children. Education is another, you know, like lack of jobs, in you know, options in the job market most of the time, so men are not seem fit enough for this job or that job because it's a male job. So it's a whole mindset. And and these are the big, big issues in, in India right now. Let me ask you, because India is such a, it's such a really large place, such a big country, would Absolutely. you say this is prevalent from mostly from your sort of region of India or it's prevalent in the thinking all over India on the whole? Well, no. This is uh, these are issues uh, that that are spread like from the north to south, so it's, it's across it. the country. Ex across the country. Yeah. Stella, you recently attended the climate change summit. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, uh, Gail. Uh, very interestingly, uh, on 27th, you know, uh, we we uh, in the climate summit that happened in uh, Doha. Uh, the, the, which was the second day of the summit, was actually dedicated to climate and gender. And uh, one of the speakers was Mary Robinson. And uh, even, you know, all the experts, there, there were hundreds of activists and experts and scientists who came together to, to, to speak on uh, or look at climate change and how, you know, from a gender perspective. And I noticed that there was no representative from India. There was no organization that was actually representing India there. So to me, this is a big reflection, you know, very, very crystal clear reflection of how uh, uh, climate change and, and, and women in, in India are, are still not under the scanner, is still not an issue we are talking about. Now, going back to uh, the UN, I, I was this time, I spent a lot of time studying the role of women, how many people are coming in. Uh, you know, each country was bringing in their own delegation, and the numbers of the delegates varied between 20 and 30 to 50. But if you count the number of women in each delegation, you know, it, it's really pathetic that there were not more than five women in each delegation. Hmm. And, and and actually there was a woman from Bangladesh, and, and she was saying that I'm the only woman in my whole delegation and I have nobody to speak to. So what a terrible thing, to, you know, if you think that way. And this is also not just about India. It's, it's also across the 
the world. So that was my my, my uh, one of the biggest thing that I noticed this time that um we are we are organizing this multi-million uh, climate change conference and and women are still marginalized is the effect of global climate change and gender associated with not infectious diseases and more in your mind what what is how does global climate change have a gender component related to it Oh, the, this is this is so huge. Thank you for asking me. I have been longing to, to talk about it. So, but but um, I'll just give a few again uh, in a very uh, broad view. Uh, maybe the best way to talk about it is a small example. So, uh, you know, I live in a city called Hyderabad, which is in the south of India, and Hyderabad has the largest number of commercial sex workers in India. You're kidding. Is actually, yes, it's the, we have more than 25,000 sex workers within the city limits alone. How many? 25,000? 25,000, yes, over 25,000. 25,000 are officially counted, yes. That that's the official count, but you know there are many more thousands who are not counted because they are stigmatized, so they do not come open about it. They don't tell anyone what they do, so there might be many more. But just by official count, there are 25,000 sex, commercial sex workers in Hyderabad city alone, and 60% of these women have migrated from other smaller towns or, or villages to the city in the last 10 years or so. And I did a story on this, and I, I, I was meeting women, and I found out that most of these women are from farming families. And they came to the city because they were either married and their husbands left them because, because of climate change and drought, you know, the, 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 the crops failed, and, and they could not make a harvest, so the men left the villages. They went to the cities, never came back, or never sent any money. So the women had no other choice but to leave their homes. And they came to the city, and they are not educated, and they do not have any skills that can fetch them a decent job. So they were loitering around the railway station or the bus station, where, you know, after a few days, they had no other option but to, 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 to sell their bodies, to, to become sex workers. So this is how climate change is, is, is affecting them, sometimes in a very subtle way, sometimes not so subtle, but more or less in an indirect way that we cannot say, oh, okay, climate change happened and these women were dead. They are not dead yet. But they lost their livelihood. They lost water that could not provide them sanitation facilities, so they had to leave their villages. Or because they were living in you know, unhygienic condition, they, they, they developed diseases, like you said, you know, infectious diseases. So these are the effects that are impacting women. Yeah. You know what's interesting what you said about that, and that is just people, I think, when they're desperate, will do whatever they have to do for survival, which is exactly what you described, and it's the unthinkable I've seen movies from people that were sex workers and 
who got out of it and then how they felt about themselves. It was a lifelong tragedy for many of them. But getting beyond that, my first question would be, what kind of men take off and leave their wives to suffer? Uh, that now see that that's something and you did say to start the conversation it was a patriarchal society um yes. but now um what are the cultural um ideas around marriage and commitment and not leaving someone i mean th- they deserted and abandoned their spouses that that seems something that's hard for me to fathom Absolutely. i know it happens sometimes but you know, uh, sometimes uh, 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 the, the men may not actually leave the home thinking uh, deliberately of leaving their wives when uh-huh. they leave. You know, they think of, I'm going to go, I'm going to find some work, and then I'm going to bring home some money, and then I'm going to come and take my wife to, with me to the city. Mm-hmm. But then they come to the city and they can't find decent jobs. They, and whatever they earn isn't enough to save and send home. So this is where it's like, you know, survival versus moral values or your vows. Do you stand uh, honest to, to, to the to the vow that you, you took? And that's where, you know, the moral values go go weaker. And, 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 and men uh, start thinking, oh, okay, I can't go back. Let me first take care of myself. But the problem is, sometimes for the women who are left in the village, there are no other alternatives. She 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 doesn't have any means to take care of her for six months, for one year, which is something her husband keeps hoping for. He hopes mm-hmm. that, oh, somehow she will manage, but she can't, and that's when she has to leave. But having said that, Anna, tell me, let me tell you one thing. Mm-hmm. We, we are also having a lot and lot of farmers committing suicides. We have had thousands and thousands of farmers who have committed suicide because of the failed crops. Mm. But these are mostly, almost all of them are men. Mm. Doesn't say that women are not suffering, but you have to look at, you know, this shows that the, the spirit, the struggling, fighting spirit that our women have. I'm a mm-hmm. little biased towards women because I do think they have tremendous power. And for me, this is a reflection of that, that they do not commit suicide. They do not abandon their families or their children. They fight, whether by hook or by crook, you know, whatever they need to do, they do. And they fight back. Yes. And they take care of themselves, you know. Yes. I mean, you're right. Even if it means a compromise of some sort, they they will fight, I think, for very for the very basic survival and I do think that women are incredibly powerful in that way. I think worlds above and stronger than men often and most of the time when things get very very seriously when desperate times come, when real struggles come and men can't seem to find a way out, women will do absolutely they'll eat gravel if they have to. They will do absolutely what they have to do. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's not pretty. It's not pretty, but they do it. <laughs> you know, it. what I also hear you saying, you just made an incredible connection for me between climate change and gender, which I had not, um, I hadn't factored in because so often the people that 
um, the needs are so great and the circumstances are such a of such a survival crisis level that when I hear conversations or discussions on you know the traditional media about gl- climate change, it seems a, a bit um, elitist to me. You know, it seems yes. like something no, that absolutely you, you are know, absolutely right. It, it, yeah. It's something that um, people have the the quote unquote luxury of being able to study and to have conversation around, and I you know, haven't always been able to make a connection to mm-hmm. the more urgent needs that also are pressing upon the human family. And yeah. so now what you did, you just connected the dots for me, Stella. You you're you're revealing that climate change is not an an elitist, isolated discussion. It necessitates a diversity of voices at the table because it does affect affect the health and well-being of farmers and others in very tangible ways and it's affecting their livelihood which contributes to um, suicide among farmers and to increased sex trafficking and women and girls who get caught up in sex trafficking as a means of survival. Absolutely, Gail. Absolutely. Here, here, you know, a lot of times there is also a connection between a bad marriage and domestic violence and climate change. Really? And this is how, yes, this is how. I just met a, a very young lady in Doha, and she was telling me that she has two teenage daughters, and, and because of drought, because there is not enough rain, that the the community lake from where they used to draw water for their drinking and their cooking has dried up. So these two girls are now spending hours going miles away to fetch water, bringing home for drinking and other urinating. Now, this is something every media house still talks about, that, okay, rural women, they spend hours fetching water. What they are not talking about is this that this woman is worried that both are girls, they are not as tall. They're actually now developing a, you know, they're developing a hunchback. They're stooping over. They're not walking as straight as they used to be. And she, she's saying that, you know, my daughters are not just as beautiful as they used to look before, you know, this happened. And at this rate, I, you know, I can't, I can't find a, a good-looking uh, or a decent or a, a boy from a good family to marry them, and I might just have to marry them to to someone who is already married or widowed, or 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 somebody who is not quite good. And if that happens, these girls are going to be married to someone who is much older. The chances are there will be. There, there, there will be, and there is. These things are actually happening. There, there will be a lot of psychological difference, you know, understanding, lack of understanding between the older man and the younger bride. And again, this is also going to result in early motherhood, and then, you know, you know, problems that she will have at childbirth. So the basic thing, I, I, I was feeling so sad to hear this woman saying that I don't think 
my girls can find good-looking boys or boys from good background. I just have to marry them to anyone because they are not beautiful anymore. The girls are already having lower back pain, and they're very young. And she's saying, who's going to pay for this loss? You know, so if you look at climate change, it's all about disconnections. And like you said, unfortunately, the media doesn't look at the small changes that or connections that make the whole big issue. The conference that you recently attended, was there an opportunity to address this area of gender and economic um, social class differences in the social implications of mm-hmm. climate change? Um, I wouldn't really say so. The, the the climate change is you know it, it's 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 like this one big event where you make all the decisions. So there are too many decisions to make, too much of bargaining to do, and um, you know so in this big exercise, the smaller issues, which are actually the real issues, kind of get lost. So this time. You know, the whole bargaining, whole negotiation was focused on the funding that is going to come from developed countries and going to go to the poorer countries who did not create, who did not cause uh, uh, global warming but are suffering. So it was all about that, the climate finance, carbon finance, carbon trading, and these humane and social issues you know, they they, were, they they did not really have the kind of platform they, they should have. And what a sad thing. They were not discussed the way they should be. But having said that, some organizations did bring out some reports, and they did release those reports saying how climate change is affecting women and men in developing countries and other countries. And I guess now it's up to people like us to, to, to take it to a wider range of people, wider section of people, and, and keep the discussion going on. Yeah. Stella, let me ask you, um, a friend of mine who's also from India, she's a filmmaker, like you, um, she made a film, um, She's her name is Shalini, she was saying from her perspective of also living in India that water is the biggest issue, and that she sees water as, you know, the next commodity, I'm sure people, you've heard that before, Gail, I'm sure too. Um, is that what you're seeing there when you're talking about drought, that there is an overall, because of climate change, lack of, of water and, av- and availability to water, to clean water, anything? Is that the main? You know, Annette, your friend is right. Water is certainly a big issue, but I don't really look at segmented way. You know, I don't have, mm-hmm. I, do, I can't. I can't because for me, everything starts it's- with the fact that we are, we are not treating men and women on the same scale. Agreed. So gender yeah. bias, the gender inequality for me is where it all begins. We we, we, we do have a lot of homes which, which, which where people are rich, they have a lot of land, they have big lakes, sometimes more than one, but there women are still suffering from diseases and they can't talk about it because they feel shy. They don't go to the doctors. And they suffer, they have skin diseases, they have vaginal infection, and they can't talk about it. So this is not about accessibility to water. It is about not being treated important enough to discuss their 
their their health with the men in the family. What, what could possibly what could start to change that where a, a woman can't tell someone that they are suffering or have maybe a disease or a problem or something that needs to be addressed medically? What what um what can you do about well, that? You know, there is no magic wand, but the solution is actually not a very tough one. It's pretty simple. Like everyone does his or her bit to 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 remove a little bit of that bias. Mm-hmm. If, you know, forget the elder generation. Our generation, men are getting married. Our friends are getting married every day. We are falling in love. We are having relationships. So if we start treating our spouse, our partner, our boyfriend, our girlfriends, you know, our girlfriends, you know, uh, with equality and not as I'm, I'm superior and she is inferior, I think we are going to take the fight a little bit, you know, we, we are going to make things fairer. And the other way we could do is the way we treat our elders, the, the female elders in the family. Like we pay more attention to what daddy says or what grandfather says. His his views are always more important. We run to them for discussing our issues, our finance, so which puts them in a, in a, in a you know, higher scale. Why don't we go to our moms? Why don't you go to our grandmoms? They have so much wisdom. Mm-hmm. Why don't we use that for practical purpose? If we do that, we are also bringing down inequality right there. Yes, so that way, ev- yes, everyone can do his or her bit. That is one. The, 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 the other thing is that wherever we get, see some, something good happening, a positive story, best practices, let's share it. We share it, and we send out a message like, see, this is happening here. It can happen elsewhere as well. So there is no bigger impact that can be made, you know, than, than the way we make impact through sharing positive stories or showing an example. So these are, for me, the two ways everyone can do something about it. Stella Paul, thank you so much for being here with us today on Sylvia Global Media and um, enlightening us, you know, in so many ways about how each of us can make an impact and um, also educating us in a, a to look at these discussions around climate change um, through a gender lens. And I hope that you'll come back. I'm so sorry that we've ran out of time. <laughs> you know, this morning it took us a long time to get connected because I one of the questions I'm looking forward to asking you on our next conversation is, you know, your reference to being an Indian female child who survived by default. <laughs> you uh, And having you be able to elaborate on that some more. We'll look forward truly look forward to having you back again on sylviaglobal.com. Thank you so much, Stella. Thank Thank you you. so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure being here, talking to you (laughs) ladies. And I would love to come back. Uh, It would be great to come back. Well, we want you to have your own show. You know, so that you have a place for your voice on a regular basis and the women that you serve. Thank you so much, Stella. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Well, Annette, what do you think? We've had Uh, quite a morning. Oh, my goodness, Gail. (laughs) I feel like, um, I feel like, why would I ever watch the news again? I'm not learning anything. I feel like I talked to these women and I just had a huge education. Do you feel the same way? 
Absolutely, absolutely. I I also feel that um, my education um, is fact-based. You know, it's experience-based. It's not someone else's interpretation, but we get to get it right from the source. I feel like it was really life-changing for me. And you know what? Hopeful, too, because it sounds like this generation, their thinking has already evolved in a very progressive way. Yes. And those these changes that they're talking about, whether it's gender bias and, you know, I think these sorts of changes are very, they can often be slow, too slow sometimes for those the people that are really caught in the middle fire. But I just, um, but I still felt an incredible amount of hope that these women are out there on the ground, you know, having their voice, fighting for human rights and for other women. It just, it really inspired me. Absolutely, absolutely. I I feel like my I have so much to ponder, you know, today, and there's still hope. You know, there was a lot of uh, information that was, you know, very disconcerting and uh, very disturbing, you know, just the atrocities that one human being would afflict on another, but yet these women um, brought us tremendous hope and fight, along with, you know, being able to reference the men who fight for the same thing on behalf of women and, and girls as well. Annette, thanks so much for being here. Yes, it was an Look absolute to talking pleasure. To you soon. Have a wonderful <laughs> yes. day. You too. Okay. <laughs> 